gentlemen, welcome back, or please welcome back, to Ripple Effect. My name's Ken Jones, the chief film critic for Onstage Blog. It's been a bit since we last did an episode of The Ripple Effect. So to refresh everyone's memory, The Ripple Effect is a pod where we talk about influential movies and the ripple effect that it spawned in Hollywood because of the movie's success. With me on the pod today, if he had telekinesis, he would use it to help Eli Manning throw the ball better. Hey. It's onstage blog <laughs> contributor and all-around bag man, Greg Earhart. Greg, how are you? Well, I, I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> also joining us, a man who needs no introduction because they're all going to laugh at him. It's oh, onstage geez. blog founder, Chris Peterson. That's just hateful. That's hateful. <laughs> Chris, uh, see, we just laughed at you. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, you know, not so great now, but yes, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Hey, I mean, come on. You got the best quote from the movie, so. That's true. That's true. You know. So on uh, previous funny, episodes. I didn't know that line was from Paul. But... Go ahead. On previous episodes of this pod, we've done Die Hard. We've done The Blair Witch Project, The Matrix, and Zoolander. Uh, and we talked about how their, their success shaped future movies in the, their genres. Uh, today's movie is a little bit different and also a little older than those other movies. Uh, we're going back to 1976, before any of us were even born, to discuss Carrie. And instead of talking about the movies that imitated it or followed its blueprint, uh, we're going to look at it through the lens of Stephen King adaptations. Um, last week, It Chapter 2 came out in theaters, and so Stephen King's been having a moment over the last couple of years. There have been, to my count on Wikipedia, 46 film adaptations of Stephen King's work through the years. And while there's been something of a renaissance in interest in his movies, again, over the last couple of years, uh, beginning with uh, the first hit movie in 2017, uh, Carrie was the first. And so it's kind of the movie that, uh, you know, launched a thousand ships, so to speak. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. Carrie. A new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. So, Chris... Why don't you start us off? When did you first encounter Carrie? Uh, actually, I, I didn't encounter it till late. I think the first time I saw it was right around like the end of high school, beginning of college. So it wasn't, oh. yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't see this movie early on. Um, and I, I remember watching it in the dark. I, I really can't place where I saw it, but I remember watching it in the dark being slightly freaked out. I won't say I was really freaked out. I was slightly freaked out um until the end of course and then i was like oh my god but mm. um definitely definitely an impactful film for me absolutely mm. so i i saw this for the first time much later than you even uh i saw it probably i don't know maybe 10 years ago wow uh, or so yeah it, it it was one of those movies that uh, you, you always knew about 
growing up, uh, you know, you saw the VHS cover of the of the of the the movie, and you're like, whoa, what's going on there? You just see fire and you know a woman draped in or covered in blood, you know, and and it's been parodied obviously and like tons of other things. Um, but the first time I saw it was probably um, I used to when I would get DVDs through Netflix. I'd usually do like uh, the entire month of October just watching horror movies. So I'm pretty sure it was probably one of those months that I, I watched it for the first time, start to finish, and uh, so that was when I I got to it. Greg, you're you're even more recently <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> encountering it. Why yeah, as it? recently as last week uh, was <laughs> the first time I saw this. Yeah, I, I knew and I knew this. I had known this movie for a while as a movie where Carrie gets blood all over her you know, her at the prom, and. I didn't. I just didn't know what the hook was beyond that. So it was never a movie that particularly pulled me in. Uh, but I have to say, I'm really kind of mad at myself for uh, not watching it sooner. This is. It's. It's interesting to watch this in comparison to current horror movies, as mm. as maybe we'll get into. But uh, it is. It is. It is an excellent. It's an excellent movie, and certainly one of the top uh, Stephen King adaptations, even compared to some of his newer fare uh, right. that's come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I'll admit the first time I saw it, I was actually a little dismissive of it. I, I thought uh, I, didn't, I didn't think it quite lived up to the reputation it had for some reason, and uh, just I don't know what it was. It just it didn't uh, didn't work for me the first time. But uh, watching it again uh, in preparation for this pod, like I, I I realized I really underestimated it. Yeah, you uh, have to get used to the pacing, and again, yeah. the pacing of this is very similar to other. Not just horror movies of the era, but other movies like in the seventies. Like again, the, the it's just very different than what we're accustomed to, you know. Starting with the nineties and moving on forward. Um, but once you're used, to, once you're used to that and kind of get over John Travolta being in this movie <laughs> in sort of a limited role, then it's you know it's it's very expertly directed and uh, and well and well acted. It's kind of weird, like. I... Seeing it this time, it felt less of like a horror movie for most of the runtime, and more of just setup. Felt like a, um, a high school drama. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. I don't know. It was kind of weird, and then, uh, but it's all setting up like building and building and building to obviously like the the third act that everybody, you know, everybody knows. Right, and and one of the interesting things is they never really bother to explain why she has the power that she mm-hmm. has you know a lot of other horror movies either go into an origin story or get into whatever the magic or the superstition is beyond it this i mean that it really wasn't the point of it and i think that's a crucial part of stephen king books and movies is the monster in front of you is not really the true monster and it's and it's really it's the other forces at play that you really have to watch out for that can make the monster you know what they are Today and I think Sissy Spacek did a really good job. I mean, she is one of the most sympathetic monsters, <laughs> you know, you could ever. I think that's ever been on screen. Mm. Chris, do you have any thoughts on this as a horror movie or just a movie in general? Well, I mean, keep in mind this is what twelve years after Rosemary's Baby. This is three years after The Exorcist. So, you know, religious horror is kind of this. I don't want to say like a new genre, but it's definitely something that gets that, that wide it's, kind of interest of it's of in like, vogue at the time. Yes. And so this takes it to another level. Um, 
where you know you, you just it, you've got this constant religious Im- imagery throughout the entire movie. So I think that that adds a lot of the interest into this. I think it adds an mm. extra layer of you know creepiness in a way because you know, apparently Catholicism is very creepy. So um, yeah, or no, at it, least uh, at least Piper Laurie's version of it is at least Piper. Laurie's yeah, version. That, yeah, that wasn't Catholic. I mean, that's something else. That's something, something else so entirely. Crazy but, ranch of Christian. But I think I think because happened. of people's I think just general faith. Taking a spin on that, I think, just creates a good kind of ripe ground for for horror films. And I think, you know, when we mm. talk about some of the scariest movies of all time, a lot of them have to do with religion in some way or another. So, um, yeah, the, it's it's a very very smartly done film. Mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I got so there's the scene where she's put in uh, basically this closet uh, by her mother, who's a religious fanatic. Uh, and there's a there's like a little figurine on the on like this little shelf that has a bunch of knives and stuff like sticking into it. And I thought I, I, I for some reason I thought it was some kind of like scary Jesus uh, like doll or something. And it, it's a very creepy looking doll, but it's actually yeah. some kind of saint. Do you guys okay. know I, I anything was, about this? I thought it was creepy Jesus as well. So yeah. That was a... <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, where'd that go? Well, anyways, it's 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 some kind of saint, and uh, it's also foreshadowing how, uh, at the end of the movie, Carrie is going to um, basically kill her mother, <laughs> who ends up dying in in the same, uh, you know, same way that the uh, figurine. Yeah, uh, Saint is Sebastian. Saint, Saint Sebastian. Sebastian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's you know she goes and kills her mother and a lot of other people but i i really think this particular horror movie is the best example of portraying of portraying it successfully as a tragedy you know there there are oh, other yeah, villain origin movies that try that route i think we're gonna see that with the joker coming out um and i think most movies fail because the person's so evil it just portraying the origin as a tragedy is just kind of farcical because it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, they're a truly good person and then they just go from 0 to 180 because their loved one was injured or killed or something like that. But this so one... Yeah. 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 But this one, it's a tragedy from start to finish. I mean, this is a girl who truly wanted to be a part of society and um, and as we get, we'll discuss the problem, um, I think a little later, but was just so happy to be fitting in finally. And, mm. and then there are other people, including her mother, but also, you know, girls at the high school that just said, nope, you're going to be an outcast because we decided. And then that, you know, truly takes a, a tragic turn, you know, because so that's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. do you, do you think she's a villain? No, I don't. Okay. No, Chris, well, I mean, well, well, let me let me back that up a little bit. Okay, go ahead. She, she has to be a villain because I mean, look, she, you know, decides to kill, <laughs> you know, dozens of people. Uh, I do, well, okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a choice. It's not like she didn't have control of her power. She did. I mean, she, they were pretty careful about that. She but. did, but let's we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, but so, but it's the best tragic form of storytelling for a villain. You know, so uh, I mean, it's it's sort of very sympathetic to her, but she is she is definitely she is. I mean, it's there are many villains in the story, right? I mean, it's yeah. Uh, I'm I mean, only saying she that, is yeah. Dictionary definition: she's a villain, but from the film's point of view, and even from most audience point of view, she is not the chief villain. She's, she's not the tragic, head. She, yeah, right, right. Chris, do you have any thoughts on on Carrie as a villain? 
I, I look at her as King Kong. Oh, in, in interesting. A way, in a way that um she all of her all of her things that she does is a reaction to things mm-hmm. that are done on, on top to her. Um early on when the principal can't get her name right, it's Carrie, and then right. flips that thing. Um mm. you know, stuff like that. It, it, you never see her really initiate anything. Um and that's why just like King Kong, you know, people are flashing bulbs at him, shooting at him, and he's reacting and he's going berserk and then also killing people, things like that. So um that's how I kind of that's how I kind of look at that character of, you know, yeah, you're doing terrible things, but at the same time She's been pushed to a breaking point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, even the opening scene where she's having her period in the shower, I mean, it's it's pretty old for her to be doing that, but she doesn't know any better because her mother, yeah. you know, didn't tell her any better. And I mean that it's it's very purposeful for them starting off with that because she was you know she wasn't dealt a full deck I mean she wasn't um, dealt you know any type of cards that she could play you know as far as life so it is to, as what Chris said it is a react is pretty reactionary because you know if she had a different circumstance she would not have turned out this way yeah, yeah. I got I gotta say the the, um, the the sex education in this high school in this town <laughs> is atrociously bad. Very of the time. Very <laughs> of the time. Yes. Where, where Carrie gets her period and has no idea what's going on. Uh, right. every, all the girls are in, in the, in the locker room are laughing at her right. for, for this happening. Right. And the principal when told about it is just wants to be anywhere else in the world, <laughs> but be in the room where he's being told this by the, the uh, the gym teacher. Yeah, the 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 gender splits in this movie are interesting because you know almost all the men in the movie are clueless and just they they, they barely even know who Carrie is. Yeah. Not only the principal, but John Travolta, where he's yeah. in the car and he's coaxed into helping out his girlfriend with you know a sexual act basically, which is actually the funniest moment in the movie. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like there's a lot of tension in the car. It's a slow build up, build up, build up. Travolta, and then it just ends cuts with Travolta saying. Who? <laughs> you know, when she, when she asked him to do this, you know, dirty deed on Carrie. Um, but yeah, it's like almost like none of the men have any idea who Carrie is, mm. which and there's there's a point to that. But. Yeah, and even even the uh, uh, what's his name, the guy that takes her to prom, is it, yes. is it Tommy? William Cat. So, yeah, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he even he's just kind of like her. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like he he really. Yeah, all all of them, and he's kind of aloof too. It's yeah, the men, the men in these in this movie do not come off well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. I, yeah, and I guess Tommy at the end, you know, towards the end of the prom is sort of coming around. Like, yeah, you know, just but wants he, to treat her nice. I don't think. But he, even he, then, he kind of he's got that kind of like uh, I don't know, like surfer dude kind of yeah, like air around air to him, so to speak. Right. Right. Um, what about uh, what do you guys think about Brian De Palma as a, a director here? Um, this is one of his earlier films. I mean, I, I was I was fine with it. Actually, I think it's on Netflix. There's a great documentary about uh, Brian De Palma, and he actually talks through his career. And um, I think this is this is getting good Brian De Palma. He's always been, I think, very good at capturing kind of cerebral type characters there's always that you know he does really nice close-ups of faces and really kind of captures captures nuance and and things like that so yeah i i think i think he was the perfect person to direct this movie i think there's other directors that 
would have gone in a completely different direction. I think if you had Spielberg in there, if you had, you know, Scorsese or Coppola or, you know, Sidney Lumet, it would be a completely different movie. And so mm. I think what's nice is that with De Palma, you always get really good, tight, personal moments. And I think for a movie like this, you need that. Yeah, I was just going to say the I really his direction of the prom was mm. I can't say flawless, but it was really kind of pretty beautiful actually in terms yeah. of how he framed the first part of it through the dancing, through the sitting, through the awards as like a very dreamlike state in terms of his use of colors. There's a lot of blue that he used in that in a very sleep, like dreamlike thing is particularly on uh, Carrie um, and even the boyfriend at times, um, very light, bright colors and then as it transitioned to when the blood spilled, very dark red colors mm-hmm. uh, goes over the audience, goes over her. That sort of like goes from the dream to the nightmare, you know, and just through the use of colors alone. And uh, I thought that was just a great, you know, I think only a couple directors, you know, would, could have pulled that off the way he did. And, yeah. Uh, I just thought I just saw it as a great combination of him and Sissy Spacek. Um, I thought she was terrific. Um you know, as a role, she had a lot of nuance, did a lot with her eyes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and really through all phases of the movie, um, conveying emotion without talking. And uh, yeah, and it was it was again a movie I had no idea he directed <laughs> before watching it you know, mm. the first time. But you can see his influences here. Yeah. And you also it's, it's kind of cool. You'll see uh, some of the the camera effects that he does that you'll see all throughout his career uh, in this movie, like the. Um, the one that stands out to me the most is um, you get the, the, the face of somebody in, in the foreground and then someone like in the background too, that's also in, and they're both in focus and you have that, that uh, it's a camera trick. I don't know the exact word for it, but um, usually you can't have someone close to the camera and away from the camera in focus. Um, but there, there's some kind of camera trick that they that uh, he uses and uh, a lot in his movies yeah one thing i I do want to add i think de palma went a little overkill with the jesus references at the end uh, (laughs) when when the mom had all the uh, knives stuck in her i mean she was so obviously saint sebastian right no 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 a jesus a jesus pose um well yeah but it's yeah sorry go ahead no i i think it's really specific to jesus with the arms um, hanging out her head was hanging to the left like almost all crucifix poses are um, and it, de- the camera lingered about 10 seconds too long on that in, mm-hmm. in that pose that was a little overkill I think um, you know but that, yeah there's a there's a weird like uh, I don't know like s- sexual like almost thing going on there with the mother um, as she's she's like euphoria kind of thing as she's yeah, I had problems. And with the it's mom. really weird. Yeah, but, uh, again, that's like weird sexual stuff is is also <laughs> part of De Palma, right? You know? The mom was a little. I think she was good eighty percent of the time, and the twenty percent was chewing the scenery a little, oh, yeah. a little bit much, you know, in certain yeah. parts. But overall, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm, I don't mind erring on that side in that direction for a horror so, movie. So, Greg, you you mentioned uh, Sissy Spacek uh, yes. as a wonderful performance here. Um, should be noted that uh, Sissy Spacek was 26 when this movie was <laughs> was made, and Carrie is a 16 year old uh, high school student. Which right. again, 1970s, you got you guys that some weird stuff. Like 
having nude scenes with characters that are supposed to be 16 year old students yeah it's a little problem what was going on what is going on that's (laughs) if this were if this were uh the the rewatchables on the ringer that would definitely be the part (laughs) of the movie that's aged the worst right hands down right Um, and 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 not particularly necessary even for a scene like that um very gratuitous yes yes yeah but uh yeah no it's basic pretty pretty impressive performance I thought. I mean, it really. It. I mean, she. She had done, you know, some really good performances before then. Uh, but this. I mean, this kind of really launched her into the stratosphere. You know, four years later, she wins an Oscar. She's actually been nominated six times. So mm. six times Oscar yep. nominee. Um. So yeah, it, it. You know, she's no joke. And I think you see, you see why in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's get into the the big scene, that that uh, you know been dancing around a little bit the 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 prom and you know greg was talking about the setup for this thing yeah you want to talk about it a little bit more greg yeah again i thought the use at first watching it i thought it was taking a little bit too long to sort of get to the key blood you know the the blood dunking uh on her but again once you realize what he's kind of going for it really makes sense and he really uses slow-mo and uh, yeah. really, really effectively uh, again, conveying that dreamlike state, um, the tension leading up to the moment. Again, you know it's coming, even if you're watching it for the first time, because you know the plan's executing, and you're probably hoping against hope that someone stops it. You know, and this is sort of you know a uh, a heroic movie, but Stephen King, so you know that's not going <laughs> to happen if you know that. Uh, but even so, it's um, I really like the moment, even after the blood spilled and. He cuts it, and De Palma cuts out all the sound of it, so you can mm. hear like every little pin drop, you know, that that happens, and and see the audience, the crowd's kind of stunned face. And again, it's really the tragedy is in full effect because everyone, everyone's feeling bad for her except for you know two people, a couple, <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and so it's a tragedy, not just for Carrie, but also for everyone in the room well, because a lot of them are going to die, you know, as as a result yeah. of this. I gotta say, I love the shot. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, there's so much about this movie I didn't appreciate the first time I saw it. But the shot that follows the the rope up to the the blood, the bucket of blood, just hanging yeah. up over the stage. That's a great, that's a great shot. shot. Great long oh, shot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Outstanding. Um, I also really like how De Palma did like that split screen of her eyes with the door shutting. Mm. Um, you know, you could have easily done like a cut or a swipe, so to speak, yep. know, to go between your eyes. But I just like how he did everything kind of just in that moment. And mm. um, I thought that that worked really, really well. One thing I, I noticed when we talk about the carnage itself, um, yeah. really, I, I mean, the only thing, really the only thing that she did was she turned on the hose. I mean, she shut the doors and turned on the hose. Well, she killed, she killed the gym teacher pretty sadistically. But that, oh, yeah. again, was the guy that but, got electrocuted, or but but all that. All, she, it's not like she lit stuff on fire. It's not like she's moving objects and throwing them at people. You know, she just she just turned on the hoses, and it just that's hose. where the chaos. That's where so the her chaos plan begins. Was to drown them. I don't. Who knows? I mean, again, she in her head she well, could have been, oh, this, been this really escalated quickly. Well, it might have it been did. hot water through the hose, so you know, yeah. could have been, she could have moved the nozzle. But here's my thing. Again, I, I could be wrong, but I, when I was rewatching this, one thing I noticed that the only like absolute defined deaths that you saw in that gym were the adults. Um, yes. Mm. 
like you the, you saw the two guys get electrocuted by the microphone and then the teacher right. get killed and then everybody else that's implied um right. like you never see a teenage person in that movie die which again it's weird that you're talking about a movie at the beginning has no problem with showing you know full nudity of teenagers and yet showing them die in this <laughs> gymnasium is somehow a step too far i don't know yeah that's that, that is interesting i mean it's it's heavily implied or well i know heavily but it's, it's implied that possibly tommy died from having the um the head blow from the the bucket land on him um and in and the then, remake he's dead yeah is he remake, really yeah in the in the in the remake that they did he is because uh, they show a shot of him his eyes are opening he's bleeding from the head so he's de- yeah. he's dead in the remake yeah okay and that's so, part of what um, triggers her to be honest right yeah. oh interesting um but yeah no it's it, so this this is another thing i want to get into when the, the blood falls on her um greg you mentioned it only a couple of people are laughing and i think this is this is the smartest part of the movie um there's only a few people that are laughing, and we get camera shots of them in the crowd. But then with with every one or two people that are laughing, there are three or four that are just appalled at what they've seen. But then we see them all through Carrie's eyes, mm-hmm. and everybody is laughing at her. Well, they're all, they're all going to laugh at you. Right. right. But like, they, and all and, she hears is her mom. You know, right. There's, yeah. there's that. It's, it's just... There's, there's definitely like not everybody is laughing at her, but in her eyes, everybody is laughing at her, and and she just snaps like she can't. Right. At, at that point, she can't distinguish between, right. you know, people that are in on this, that have done this to her or haven't done this to her. Yeah, uh, and it's for my for me, it's just it's a great it's a great moment because when push comes to shove you're going to rely on what ultimately you you model from your parents or what your parents trained you and uh if your parents trained you bad <laughs> or model bad behavior then it's it's going to lead to you know disaster and in, in carrie's case it was you know horrific um, yeah <laughs> modeling it's, and it's uh, she does she does a horrific thing it's just i like you said it's, it's a very tragic she's a very tragic figure because like I don't think she chooses to do it. She just her. It's it's almost like instinctual on her part, or, yeah. or something she yeah, that's not fair. loses control of. But uh, she she's she's not like making the conscious yeah. decision to to slaughter these people. Yeah, she just like kind of sees red, so to speak. I think initially, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and you can. That's certainly an argument I wouldn't have much against is the initial onslaught. I mean, I think again, if I'm gonna get, if we have a true moral and ethical debate about <laughs> Carrie's actions, I think afterwards she could have stopped it at any point or right. come to her senses or something. But yeah, I mean, you could certainly make the case that she was acting as King Kong, you know, would have because of you know she was raised like an animal basically and treated like an animal, you know, and at school and stuff. So she was gonna act like an animal. So I, I I couldn't argue that. All right. Uh, any last thoughts on the movie itself? Anything else that stood out to you guys? Or again, this is John Travolta. Or here's a, like I'm going to defend, I'm gonna defend Travolta <laughs> for a second. This is you. You got this is this is good Travolta. This is like era good. This is before. He starts getting to be careful. Um, careful. I was gonna say, I want, I want to hear, I want to hear Greg's rebuttal to this. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's my case. Here's my case. Mini, mini movie Where, board here. I'm gonna state my case. Yeah, I want to hear this. I want to hear you because okay. okay. I think, I think Greg was saying that he was yeah. out on Travolta 
So yeah, uh, so just real quick, uh, Carrie came out before Saturday Night Fever, before Grease. It was also while he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. Which so, at the time is one of the most popular shows on television. And, so, he, so and by Chris, the way, I will defend, defend him on that show. Defend, so, defend Travolta as good. Travolta I will. Here. I will say that if you look at Travolta's career, seventy-six to eighty-one is his peak. This is his apex. This is his him not only I think doing Ooh. his his most popular work, but also not I wrong. think <laughs> I think going, this is going. where <laughs> this is where he's doing his actual best work because before he becomes a parody of himself. So you've got Carrie, you've got you've got Saturday Night Fever, you've got Grease. Those are three decent movies back to back to back. Um, Urban Cowboy I think is a better movie than you a lot of people give it credit for. And I will say that Blowout is an exceptional movie. He's actually very good in this movie, which another is another diploma. Another diploma. So I would say also with people, Nancy Allen in it. There you go. So I would a lot of people want to say like his best work was with you know Tarantino and whatnot. No, his best work was when him and De Palma were together. This is where you're actually getting legitimately good Travolta. And then he screws it up the next year by doing Stand Alive and then it all starts to go downhill. Okay. So Greg, Chris has said that uh I Travolta did his best work with De Palma. I don't want to Some, get into too much I don't of think a anyone's, here. But. I don't think anyone's going to say that he did his best work with Kirstie Alley, but you have the floor. So I really don't want to get into too much uh, tangent, but uh, his best work was this John Woo. I mean, let's 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 be realistic <laughs> here. I mean, that that pairing was just magic and face off. I, I don't know how you, you know. Um, get better than Sean Archer matched with Caster Troy as he did both brilliantly. In fact, he should have gotten two Oscar nominations for Caster Troy separately than Sean Archer. Um, I will also say him in the, the people versus OJ Simpson is also one of his best, you know, better than welcome back. Connor, better than all these movies that you just cited. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't think there's any argument personally. He just forgot. Terrible. About the, he just Terrible. forgot about. The, he just forgot about those two roles. But um. <laughs> I forgot that he also John Woo also did Broken Arrow. Too. I was just gonna say. So which is a better which is a better combo? Uh, Travolta with De Palma doing Carrie and Blowout, or De Palma, or Travolta and John Woo doing Broken Arrow and Face Off. Oh, that that is a tough wow. call. That's, that, that's, I'll I mean, admit that that's a real toss up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, boy, we, we we might take that to movie court. You know, mm. uh, we'll have to, we'll have I to smell the, I smell a movie court episode. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right, let's let's, let's get this back let's, in the rails. Let's yeah, yeah let, let's get into the ripple effect of this. So, as I said earlier, this is the first Stephen King. Uh, story that was adapted into a movie and there have been obviously many 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 adaptations of stephen king's work since then um what do you guys think is the appeal of king's writing uh to hollywood um there's basically like outside of shakespeare i have a hard time thinking of someone that's had more of his material made into a movie than stephen king I mean, the only two other writers I can Bible, think of, were, maybe, were, were, well, <laughs> the only other two that could even come close would be Grisham and Crichton, and those were maybe a, like ten, a dozen, know. yeah, like ten yeah. or twelve between them. So, and he's in he's in like the forties, and that's not even counting, you know, the the TV miniseries that right. uh, have been made as well. Well, I think it's the fact that he's a very cinematic writer. I mean, when you hmm. When you read some of his books, I won't lie, I've listened to a lot of his books. Um, they they just lend themselves to you know visual imagery very, very well. And you, they just they just really flow like movies. So it's no 
surprising. I think it's just, I think after the first couple, he just develops kind of like a Nicholas Sparks type of reputation where it's like anything he puts out must be made into a movie. So, right. you know, and then you get, that's why, that's when you start getting the bad ones. But hmm. um, yeah, I think he just, his, his work just lends itself very easily to film. And plus mm. there's not a lot of horror writers out there either. If you think about it, there's not right. a lot of sure. writers out there that really do this at a consistent level. Right. And his, and his best stories wrap a very human element to yeah. it as well, which is cinematic. And also, I mean, to be quite frank, they have really interesting premises and uh, yep. really good hooks to it. Good hooks, uh, yeah. So it's uh, it lends itself well. Yeah, and, there's uh, and we'll be real; they're they're popular. So Hollywood can popular, adapt yep. anything that's like insanely popular. That's good. Yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of like I, I was because I haven't read a lot of Stephen King's books, but I've been I was looking online for you know some of the the recurring themes or anything that in in his in his works. Uh, there's a lot of you know average people doing extraordinary uh things in in extraordinary situations you know like like just a regular guy you know in in the stand or whatever or there's a lot of writers that are main characters um you know childhood traumas that people go through um and there's there's uh big stakes and consequences in in a lot of his works too which obviously people like um <sighs> Are there any themes from Carrie that we see recurring in other Stephen King adaptations? Anything that stood out to you guys that like you had seen in other movies? I just think he's very he's very good at at these kind of like I don't want to say like cliffhangers or twist endings or you know, but he always knows how to like his his movies always typically end well that make you like think. I mean, you've got the hand popping out. And you know, the girl basically having a <laughs> panic attack. Uh, by the way, those, those two actresses, actual mother and daughter, which I thought was pretty cool. Huh. Um, but you know, you, so you you typically he typically knows how to end books and and these movies typically end well, which I think you see a continuous theme in The Shining. You you know, Misery, Pet Cemetery. They just typically end on a note of, I guess, eeriness in a way that just makes mm. you think. Makes you think. Was that that ending? Was that the first time that had been done? With the jump scare it, it, at the end? Yeah. Um, is there an earlier example of that? I can't think of one. Not off the top either. of my head. I can't, I can't either. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. that's 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 been copied a lot in mm -hmm. in horror movies, um, not just Stephen King. Um, yeah. I mean, so like telekinesis comes up a few times, or you know, psychic powers that uh, that people have. Um, was it Firestarter with with Drew Barrymore? Correct. Yes. You know, obviously, Danny in The Shining has, you know, some kind of uh, power there too to communicate. Uh, so stuff like that. That people with he's with usually weird... very good at doing creepy kids. Like he's very good at creepy kids. Yep. Yeah. There's the creepy kids. Um, but yeah, there's there's people that that uh, have these powers and don't necessarily know how to use them or harness them or you know, or whatever. Um, do you think um, Stephen King, this is an interesting question I had, uh, or maybe not, I don't know. I'll let you guys be the judge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> would Stephen King have been more or less adaptable without Carrie and De Palma? If it had, if, if Carrie had been a bomb and, and someone else had directed it other than De Palma and, and it just came and went, would would Stephen King still be 
you know, this big, um, like, horror movie uh, entity that we have today? It's a good question. I, I, I think if Carrie's bad, we don't get The Shining. Interesting. That was my follow-up question. What about Kubrick and The Shining? Yeah, I don't think, I don't a, think we get that. It's a huge one-two punch. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we get The Shining without well, Carrie being good. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends because Carrie did in 2019 dollars 142 in box office it and was part of, huge right and part of that's because it was good i mean there's certainly some right. carryover effect um, carryover uh-huh. so so i mean if it was bad and still did that box office they're definitely doing more stephen king because you know they, they, they don't care ultimately they don't care whether it's good or not as long as people want to see it um so but yeah no it is a super important movie i think it definitely would have taken a five to ten year break you know, before the next Stephen King is put out, before they take another chance again uh, with, yeah, with, Shine, with The Shining or something else. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the uh, adjusted dollars for this movie. It still, with you know, forty something movies released, uh, it's the number four uh, Stephen King movie uh, in the adjusted box office at one hundred forty-two million, mm-hmm. and only only outdone by The Shining. The Green Mile and it, mm. so that's that's impressive. All these years later, for, yes, forty forty three years now, right? All right, so that's uh, the ripple. Let's get into the next part of this, where we mention a couple of mo- uh, good movies and one bad movie uh, that came out of of this uh, uh, this movie. So, Chris, why don't you give us your first movie? Well, a good got, or a bad one. Good or bad. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have to start off with, with Misery being mm. a good one. I mean, you've got really you know two characters in the entire movie, um, and you need to have incredible performers um, really for, to drive that, that film. And you've got you know Kathy Bates, Academy Award winning role for her. Mm. Uh, James Caan in a very underrated performance i don't think he gets enough credit uh for that movie um yeah no incredible and it, and from rob reiner too by the way yeah that's rob, a weird one you know when harry met sally and then he does you know misery it's like um, princess bride when harry met sally <laughs> spinal tap mm-hmm. before that even and then misery and then misery so it, it in, interesting turn for him but yeah no excellent excellent movie great pacing in that movie just it's really really good not really a horror film but more like a you know, suspense thriller, if you will, mm-hmm. except for that that ankle scene. Good luck. That ankle scene. <laughs> I still remember the first time I saw that. Good uh, gosh. That 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 is traumatizing. Oh, Greg, yeah. Greg, yes. give us one of your movies. Yeah, I mean, it chapter one, I think, is a is a direct one. It was. I think they, after a long line of bad Stephen King movies, I think they got back to the roots of what makes a good. I think I I, I think they went back to Carrie and kind of figured out what was good, you know, about his stories, which is. Again, the human element, um, right. not just um, the Losers Club and their backstories, but again, in terms of dealing with you know the real horror uh, in, in the story. Again, it's not necessarily the monster, um, in this case Pennywise, but it's also you know again um, the bullies and you know the parents that they're dealing with and um, everything that helps or tries to mold them as they go go through a coming of age. And I think the chapter one emphasizing that uh, really made it made it an excellent uh, movie and a positive ripple uh, from mm. the movie. Good. 
I'm gonna I was gonna go with The Shining, but I mean I feel like that's a movie everybody kind of knows about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little left turn here. I'm gonna go with The Dead Zone, uh, 1983, directed by David Cronenberg, and starring Christopher Walken. Uh, Chris, <laughs> we were talking a little bit about this movie <laughs> last night, and you were talking about how it <laughs> Christopher Walken I, I, didn't necessarily ruin it for you. Uh, but he did a parody of this on Saturday Night Live, which is ruined the which movie is, for him. By the way, oh, okay. Well, well. By the go. way, I mean, and and not for nothing, but also Adam Sandler almost ruined Misery for me, or it oh. ruined Carrie for me with his. Uh, you're, they're all gonna laugh at you. Skip the oh, right. album. Oh yep. right. Yeah. Uh, completely forget. So every time that lines was yep. uttered I, when I was watching Carrie, I giggled. That. So, no, yeah, me, yeah. me too. No, it's yep. true. He really did ruin. That. Yeah, but uh, you know, Dead Zone is uh, Christopher Walken has this power where he can he can just by touching someone uh can see basically like their future um and he has obviously like there's good things that he can see but also very very dark bad things that he can see too uh and one of them he brushes uh brushes uh across a, a politician played by uh martin sheen and and you know, this guy is running for president and, and he realizes that uh, this man will take the country down a very, very dark path if he becomes elected and, and realizes that uh, and feels that he has to act uh, to, to prevent this because, you know, the fate of the world actually could be at stake. So it's, it's a very interesting Cronenberg movie. So, all right, uh, Chris, what's your, your second movie here? Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right to Children of the Corn. Um, nice, another really really good one. Um, it's the only other Linda Hamilton movie I can name other than the Terminator franchise <laughs> off the top of my head. So it's like Dante's Peak. Oh, that's yes, right. yes, Dante's Peak. Um, yeah, those those are the only two. So there. Um, but no, yeah, just good good movie. Um, yeah, they definitely dug it. Mm. Greg, what's your number two? So I'm going to take a little left turn here, too. I'm going with the non-Stephen King movie. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll I'm, allow it. I'm going to go get out here, uh, Jordan Peele's first movie. And I think there's a lot of Stephen King elements uh, with this. Again, I'm not going to argue it's 100% Ripple, but I think there's definitely some influences here, particularly with the main element that, um, you know, so obviously some people are not what they are made to uh what they look to appear but also again you know the horror is often um is often just the people around you it's not a, it's not the uh, the monster or it's not a thing that you think it is uh which is certainly the case in get out and also particularly the case in, in the movie us where literally in the movie us um the monster is you know you <laughs> you know in in some cases and i think that that has a lot of stephen king uh, um, elements uh, in that, okay. so yeah, very good. I'll I'll, I'll allow it. Mm, thank you. Well, <laughs> you're gonna take. I didn't have another movie, so no. I, I know you've had limited exposure to uh, <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah. So uh, my my number two, I'm going with The Mist. Um, again, you you talk about uh, you know the the monsters amongst us being almost as dangerous as the monsters that we're facing. Uh, you know, outside 
uh, the miss is a perfect example of that uh you, you get the uh woman that's the religious fanatic uh also you know ties back a little bit into carrie there um and and, and obviously this movie i think it came out in like 2007 2008 range um it's it's really known for the ending which is is considered like just a a, a gut punch of an ending really um but there's a lot of stuff before that even that I, I really liked and, and I think uh, recommends the movie to uh, to being viewed. So, uh, Chris, what's your what's your number one here? What's your uh, not your number one? What's your bad movie? Well, there's a lot of them, um, <laughs> but the, the one are. I'm gonna the one I'm gonna there there really are. Uh, but I, I am gonna go with uh, Sleepwalkers, 1992 Sleepwalkers. Um, just a terrible, terrible movie uh, for left and right. I mean, I remember, I remember, I saw it like I remember renting it from Blockbuster Video because I wanted a uh, you know horror film weekend or something like that. And I just remember saying like, "Oh, we got to get a scary movie, Sleepwalkers." I think it was Dave Riccio's house that we went to, but um, just bad, just a bad, goofy movie. My, can I give my runner up? Sure. Uh, Another another stupid movie too, Maximum Overdrive, mm. uh, about trucks that come to life. Just <laughs> just dumb, just dumb. Isn't that Transformers or? What's <laughs> no, it's like it's like a it's like a kind of, meteor yeah. hits Earth and like the trucks become alive and they want to kill you and like they never transform into was, anything. They just want to run you over. So like, there was huh. a lot of that going on in the eighties, isn't there? Yeah. A, uh Toby Hooper uh, movie like that. Not, not obviously like it's like Night of the Comet or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had Christine a, a couple years before that, which is yep. also Stephen King, but like, I don't know, just Maximum Overdrive, Emilio Estevez, really dumb movie. <laughs> All right, Greg, what's your uh, what's your bad one? Yeah, mine is uh, Pet Cemetery, uh, and the main the main reason for which that one? Is, uh, the first one. Sorry. Okay, yes. there you go. The, uh, the one with. Uh, uh, Fred Gwynn playing Judd Crandall. Um, he's so bizarre in this movie. Um, he's I, I can't get past his accent um, and the way he talks. Uh, as, a, also, as a Mainer, I can't either. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a little much. It's it's a little over the top. Um, and Not even close. Right. And also the guy who plays the lead um, plays Lewis Dale Midkiff. I'm sorry if you're listening. My apologies, but you're, you're a terrible you're a terrible actor in this movie. You were so incredibly stiff and not what was necessary uh, for the movie. And uh, just with those two alone, I just it just kind of overcome you know uh, whatever else the movie uh, brought with it. And and it was it was a movie that needed to be remade, and uh, the remake is uh, you know halfway decent. So mm. yeah, that's a that's a thing a, a common theme, unfortunately, with with the bad Stephen King movies. Is the lack of a compelling lead, I think. Yeah. Um, and and Pet Cemetery from the '80s is definitely one of those. Uh, speaking of bad leads in a Stephen King movie, uh, mine is 1998's Thin. Uh, sorry, mine is 1996's Thinner, which is just a weird, bad, all-around movie. Uh, this obese attorney is cursed by a gypsy to rapidly and uncontrollably lose weight. Uh, it's basically the bad version of Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell that came out in like 2009, 2010. Um, 
that this movie is just not not good. I saw it one time when I was in high school, and and the literally the only thing I remember from it is is the gypsy lady like touching her finger to the guy's face or whatever, and just saying thinner, and, and <laughs> just yeah, a, a non-entity in the in the lead role. Um, apologies to to Robert John Burke, which. Is apparently the guy's name. I've no, I, I don't recall seeing him in anything else, although apparently he he played the role of RoboCop in the uh, later RoboCop sequels um, that came out around the same time. So, yeah, thinner, not great, but it has Joe Montana in it. That's about the only. It's <laughs> about the only name in here that I recognize. Right. right. Looking at the cast list, it's not great. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, for 40 some odd movies, it's probably fair to say that it's at best a mixed bag when it comes yes. to yes. Stephen King adaptations. It's usually, you got, to, well, I think we're in a good run in the last couple of years, um, but obviously, yeah. like, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I think they finally know what they're doing um, with yeah. this. And uh, they're not just making horror for horror's sake. I think the CGI is better, and I don't think there's much concern about that. And I think they understand that a complete and full story uh, goes a long way. Yeah. I, th- I think part of the problem back in the 80s and 90s was Stephen King was just willing to let his <laughs> let his uh, intellectual properties be adapted by anybody that was willing to throw money at him. Right, um, which is a little problematic, but uh, you know, we're we're starting to get, uh, you know, maybe there there'll be some more remakes of uh, some of these badder uh, adaptations. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't hold out, I wouldn't hold out uh, hope for a a better Sleepwalkers in, in the near future, but well, uh, you, well, you never we, know. We have about nine hundred and seventy streaming services out there. I'm sure one oh. of them will remake some of these movies. You know, It'll show, yeah, yeah, no problem. No, <laughs> and also like five hundred networks too. <laughs> five hundred networks. I mean, yeah, so. yeah. All right, so that uh, pretty much wraps up the episode here. Um, thank you guys for coming on and doing this with me. It's uh, been we took we basically took the summer off. Not gonna lie. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know it's fall. Uh, there's, we'll we'll try to uh, we'll try to do better going forward. So, uh, you guys have anything to plug? I mean, just th- this podcast and all of our podcasts are on the Onstage Blog Podcast Network. Got a bunch of podcasts um, up there right now. Some new stuff, new movie musical shakedown, new stage directions coming. I mean, left and right. Basically, every single week we've got multiple podcasts being posted mm. there. So definitely check that out. Yeah, check yeah. out check out the box office preview podcast as well. Uh, episodes published weekly. We break down uh, the movies that are coming out uh, the following weekend. Give some box office predictions that are spectacularly wrong, and uh, we have some fun uh, breaking down the storylines of of the, of the big movies coming out this year. Check it out. Ab- absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, doing this. We'll see you next time. <laughs>